Looking to listen to Sport Calgary's podcast on the go? Be sure to follow the Face First podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, free to download on all iOS and Android devices. Canadian Pacific was founded in 1881 and was formed to physically unite Canada and Canadians from coast to coast. Today, CP is a transcontinental railway in North America, providing rail services to key markets in every corner of the globe. Giving back to the communities they operate through is important for CP. Since 2014, their focus has been on cardiac health. Through their CP Has Heart program, CP has helped raise over $23.3 million for cardiac causes across North America. Physical activity is very important to heart health. CP is proud to sponsor Goals for Kids with the Calgary Flames, a program which benefits minor hockey, Calgary, and kids sport. For each home goal by the Flames, CP donates $500. Since 2007, CP has donated over $215,000 to kids sport. CP would like to remind everyone listening that February is Heart Month and encourage everyone to stay active, eat healthy, and have fun. Sport Calgary presents the Face First Podcast with your hosts, Alicia Rissling and Grace Defoe. And here they are sliding right on in, Grace and Alicia. Welcome back to the Face First Podcast. My name is Grace Defoe and I have my co-host, Alicia Riz Rizzling. <laughs> Hi, Grace. Here with me uh, live from uh, somewhere in Europe. Is that correct? Yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, well, you are absolutely right. I am in Europe. I have been in Europe now since um, December 28th, I believe, we got here. Um, super grateful for the opportunity to be competing, um, traveling. Uh, apparently, sportsmen are considered essential workers in Europe, so avoiding quarantines, um, on this side of the ocean. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been quite the trip and I'm like halfway done. I got three more races. I can't believe it. It feels like you just left. Um, I am live in isolation in Calgary cause I'm actually headed out to park city and Lake Placid to go race. So I get to do the fun isolation that you did over Christmas <laughs> the, right now. Okay. Um, so are you isolating at home? Are you somewhere else by your, are you in a hotel room? What's going on with that? Yeah, we're in a hotel room close to the Calgary airport. So that once we're all cleared on hopefully Thursday, then we fly out Friday morning, Friday afternoon. We don't know yet. Um, so yeah, we're, we're in Calgary because not our whole, our whole team isn't in Calgary. So, um, unfortunately I'm less than two kilometers from my house. Which kind of sucks, but uh, but we have a kitchen, and, and uh, yeah, it could be worse. But we're just trying to make sure we're all we're all safe when we go travel as well. Well, we're gonna do things a little bit differently today. Um, I'm gonna interview Alicia, and we're gonna get to know my co-host a little bit better. So she's fresh off her return to World Cup racing after taking a year away because of injury. She's gearing towards the 2022 Olympics. Amazing person, kids sport ambassador, Alicia Riz Rizling. So <laughs> I get to be on the hot seat tonight. Lucky me. <laughs> yeah. Now you know how Rob um Rob felt a few weeks ago when we when we interviewed him. <laughs> oh, I do. Feel lucky. So I mean, let I think we just want to use this time to get to know because I feel like we can tell our stories while we interview other guests, but I feel like we want to get to know 
who's really, you know, behind the mic and uh, so that people know who you are a little bit better. So I know you shared kind of a bit of your story talking about um, moving into like basketball and then how that, how you then moved into bobsled and after that, but let's kind of, I just want to know, like, let's zoom out and kind of go through your story from where it started. So my first question is, have you always kind of like, what, I guess, dreamt of going to the Olympics or was it a different, like a different sport, um, pro sport, you know, kind of when you're growing up, how important was sport to you? Well, those are two different questions for me because to me, sport was absolutely everything. Um, I, I was on skates from the age of two. Um, and despite what people probably assume with my dad being a professional, uh, a hockey player, but I was on skates with my grandma, uh, who took me, who was a professional ice dancer in the ice capades. Um, so she had me on skates from the age of two and I was registered onto official soccer team. And that year I complained so much when I was four years old, I didn't want to play soccer. Um, I wanted to play baseball. So my mom put me in both. So I was a multi-sport athlete from the age of four years old. Um, and, and I, again, I think I just went through my whole life, just whatever I could convince my parents to register me in, which was everything, including the things I didn't want to be in like dance. Um, I was in it. I think it was my mom's dream to have two girly girls, my sister and I, and, and be dancers and be graceful. And we just, both of us navigated more and more towards the team sport uh, aspect. But, um, to separate what your question was, I, I never really dreamed of going to the Olympic games. It never was, especially as I got older and, and for me, my parents ingrained education on me. My mom's a teacher. Um, and my dad, my dad's a real estate agent, but he, he had played pro hockey, um, in Europe and such. And he played in what was called the international hockey league. Um, but the, like the education piece was the priority for my parents. So um, I wasn't allowed to go to practice or anything. That was like the reward until school was done. And I actually was lucky enough to be a very gifted student and um, school always came pretty natural to me. And, and so for me from the age of grade five, um, when I tell this, when I do my public speaking bit is that I had a teacher ask us, um, not what we wanted to be when we grew up, because I think at the time when I was growing up, at least the answers were pretty solid. Like the answers were like a policeman, a fireman, uh, a doctor, a lawyer, like all these jobs that will forever be jobs. But I think that didn't leave a lot of room for creativity because none of us really, well, I shouldn't say none of us, but I think a lot of people grow up thinking they're going to be something and then they develop these other passions and end up pursuing something else. Um, so when this teacher asked me what I wanted, not what I wanted to be when I grew up, but the, the assignment was, what do you want to do when you graduate high school? And at the time I said, I wanted to get a scholarship, an athletic scholarship, and I was going to go to school to study to become a doctor. So that was kind of like my get goal and my my end game for for sport. My whole life was I was going to use sport to get um, an athletic scholarship to pay for my school. And then at the at the time I said I wanted to be a figure skater, but that quickly changed when I grew to be almost six feet instead of almost five feet. Um, <laughs> and 
yeah and so but the goal always remained the same and so when i got to grade 12 sure enough i had scholarship offers in four different sports basketball volleyball track and field and soccer and i did go to school to become a doctor and when i didn't become a doctor i took a year off from amcat twice um but unfortunately i didn't practice hard enough in university and i was too busy being an athlete first rather than first so wasn't really an option for me I would have had to do a significant upgrades but that's when the Olympic dream kind of got sparked into me because it's kind of weird once you achieve a goal and as an athlete if there's nowhere in your future to go um, and I was not a good enough basketball player to make our Olympic team I'll make that very clear um, the I don't know I was kind of like I, I remember watching the opening ceremonies of the 2012 London Olympic Games and at a crossroads in my life not knowing what I I achieved all of my big goals that I set and I, except for the one that I needed to, to move on in my life. And I didn't know if I really wanted to really pursue that anymore. Cause I didn't know if it was something I was passionate about. And that's when I saw the opening ceremonies and I was like, well, what about being an Olympian? Wow. I mean, that is, uh, that is quite the journey, I guess, kind of how sport brought you through that entire, entire school process, I guess. But, um, I mean, you do say like you you think you failed at the one goal, but I think that one thing that we don't always remember is that like goals can be adjusted and they change and, and they change as we grow, right? Absolutely. And like and you and I both being classroom champions and in that program, and that's something we, we stress to the kids. About that. And at the end of the day, like I, I did fail. A goal. Like I set a goal and I did not achieve it. But what did I, but what I teach my kids actually is, you either win or you, you learn. And I learned that actually from Ashley Neaton, um, who is an, an American uh, decathlete. But um, in that loss, which wasn't a loss, it, instead of viewing it as a failure, like what lessons did I learn from that that I was able to carry forward? And so when I did end up setting this new goal of becoming an Olympian, um, well, what were, what were the things that that kept me from not achieving the last long-term goal that I had. And those were directly related to maybe not committing a hundred percent, like not, not making it my, my number one priority and not the thing that I was really focused on. And um, I mean, I wasn't completely focused on bobsled my first year in the sport. In fact, I just didn't even know anything about the sport. It wasn't like I just got in and said, I want to be Olympian. I said, I, I got in to do this until I figure out what to do next. But when I did figure out that, you know, there was a direct route that I could take and it wasn't going to be easy. Um, but if I, if I applied myself enough, um, and, and really like committed and that to me, that commitment meant more than just the physical, um, and mental aspects. It meant my financial future. It meant so many sacrifices along the way. Um, but it just opened so many doors for me. And, and it was an experience that I, I'm so grateful and an empath. I'm so grateful that I took because um, now I'm an Olympian. And not just that, like, it's just, it's kind of changed what the outlook looks like for me in my future in terms of what I want to do after sport and giving me so many opportunities and platforms like this to be in a, in a podcast with you, Grace. And, um, you know, the philanthropic part of it, where that's really important to me is, is being able to, to work with kids. And if I can just work to inspire um, a couple of them to maybe do something that they never thought they were possible of doing, then I've done my job. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. all all great points. I, I feel the same. I actually have I had a question pretty similar um, from, I did like an Instagram ask me a question yesterday because I was so bored. Uh, <laughs> and it, <laughs> I know, what else is there to do in isolation? Um, it was, someone asked me what the best thing about learning, a, like learning a new sport as an adult was. And for me, I felt like I had focused so many years on how hard it was and like, how hard it is to put yourself out there that it took me a long time to like really think about what the best thing was. And my answer was similar. It was like that skeleton literally changed the trajectory of my life. Like, mm -hmm. so, I mean, it, it is interesting. I never thought about that. And sometimes, you know, your experiences can kind of taint the feeling of, um, of those early years that, as you know, are probably filled with lots of bruises and, um, and all that. So you got into bobsled. You you shared on the podcast before that you were recruited um, through the University of Alberta, and then you came down. How did the move to Calgary happen? Did were you going back and forth for a while, and then you finally committed, or did you just pull shoot and move down to Calgary? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So I actually wasn't actively recruited. Um, I what was happening? There was a recruiting camp going on, and it was against some of the girls that I used to previously run against. So I, I was on the track team in my first year. I never actually competed in a race because my basketball team went all the way to national finals. Um, so I missed the complete indoor season. And then as soon as I went to outdoor season, literally within a week, I got injured and ended up having it a surgery. So um, the result of that was me dropping the track and field aspect of my scholarship um, and just continuing with basketball because I, I have always been more of a team sport athlete. <laughs> um, but um, so, but it always kind of planted that seed because the the people they were recruiting were girls that I had previously ran against and beaten. And I was like, you know, and they were working out and doing these lifting in the same gym that I was training in. And this actually happened to be right the year after I got surgery. So all I was doing that summer to train and get ready for basketball because I wasn't um, progressed. I ended up ha having what's called compartment syndrome. So I had to get the fascia in my shins zipped open. Um so there could be more circulation and blood flow. I was, my feet were going numb within five minutes of physical activity. Um, so I, I wasn't cleared to run yet. So I couldn't really do the run or jump. So I couldn't really do a lot of the, the, the basketball things I needed to do. So I had a prof take me under his wing and taught me how to Olympic lift. And I actually got pretty strong, pretty quickly. So not only did I knew that I used to, to sprint faster than some of the girls that they were recruiting, I also could lift more than them. And those were the things that seemed to be important. So I was like, well, I'm good at those things. I should go. Um, and at the time, my coach went and talked to the recruiting officer and said, you know, she could do this, this. Like, would you be interested? And they're like, yeah, but if she makes the team, she's going to have to drop her scholarship. She's going to have to move to Calgary. She's going to have to forego education um, temporarily. There's no way. And so I was like, never mind, stop. Like, that wasn't something that I was issued or I wanted to. I had no, no interest in leaving, abandoning my team. Um, but so then when I graduated and took that year off after sport, um, my last year of basketball, I was playing on seven stress fractures in my shins. I was just a mess. I was physically broken. Um, but then when I didn't get into the master's program or when I didn't get into medicine, I, I needed a new goal. And as a person who I really struggled with my identity that I was no longer an athlete. Um, and it was something I don't think I was ready for. Um, and you hear about this a lot with professional athletes or not even professional, like any athlete, um, at any level. And when they, when sport ends, they, they lose themselves. Um, and I think game plan, which is the 
the foundation that the Canadian Olympic Committee has put together um, really helps work with athletes to try and get them, make sure that they are set up for their future. But there was no one for that for me um, when I was leaving college or university. And, and but I think for me, it was a little bit worse because I knew that I wasn't done everything that I needed to do athletically yet. Like I didn't know what I needed to do next. And actually what I wanted to do next was maybe um, start training for the CrossFit Games because this was 2012. So this is when CrossFit was just kind of starting. Um, so I knew if I didn't make the bobsled team, that's what I was going to start uh, pursuing was the sport of CrossFit. Um, but it was just like, I, I just knew I wasn't done with sport, um, competitive sport, I should say, because I, I, I was playing beer league volleyball and I was playing beer league slow pitch. I still do all the time. I will never give up slow pitch. Um, but it, it just wasn't like the level that I wanted to be at. So um, when I first when I actually, it was during those opening ceremonies of the 2012 Olympic Games that I sent an email down to Calgary and I said, um, you know, how would I even get involved? So I ended up driving uh, two weeks later to Calgary to do an identification camp. From there, I got invited to the, the Bobsled Alberta tryouts. Now, keep in mind, at this point when I've gone to these tryouts, I had not been in a gym whatsoever. I was doing yoga. Um, and for me, I was very out of shape, very, 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 very out of shape. Um, just like hadn't really recovered while well, I had, but just not willing to stress my shins out anymore, just from all the pain that I'd been in. Um, so when I went to this, uh, like I was not team Canada material. I wasn't even getting a, a second look. In fact, in my second year of driving, after I won the provincial championships against all the club sliders and provincial level sliders, I had actually asked, I was like, you know, I talked to the the national team head coach in an email and I said, what do you think I can work on in the off season that will give me the best chance of making the national development team next year? And they wrote me an email back saying, you, you'll never make it. <laughs> like, that's what I was told. Um, which they say that to a lot of people in our sport, but that's a whole nother, <laughs> that's a whole nother can of worms. Um, but, but uh, yeah, so again, this whole story really comes down to, I moved to Calgary. I, the first time, I went back and forth for pretty much the first from September through November. I was going back and forth um, twice a week from Edmonton. And then in November, I realized, you know, if I want to learn how to pilot the sled, which I decided very, very, very quickly, um, even though I was on Team Alberta as a brakeman, I knew I was going to try and take the driving school, um, that I was going to have to relocate to Calgary, which for me actually was super easy. I have, my brother was playing for the Calgary Hitman at the time. Um, my uncle lived there. My best friend from university lived there. Um, it was, it was really a no, no brainer for me. It was an easy transition. And now I, I, I do consider myself a Calgarian now, like the cities are, are more similar than people would leave you to believe. Um, and I love Calgary, but I also love that it's far enough away from my parents' house that I don't have to go home for dinner, but it's close enough that I can, if I want to. <laughs> No, we consider you a Calgarian. You've been here, been here a long time. So, yeah. no, I mean, I think that's such a testament to like, even when people tell you no, that like you kept growing, you kept persevering. I know we say that and it's cliche, but um, I was told something similar that I would never make it as well. So, I mean, <laughs> sometimes that's just it's like- very common in our sport. Very common. Unfortunately, yeah, I, mean, I think more people have been told that than have not. 
So if you ever want to try one of the sliding sports and someone tells you you wouldn't be good at it, and if you really want to be good at it, you can be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree. If you're interested in it, come out and try it because mm -hmm. it's tons of fun and you never know where it's going to take you. Mm -hmm. All right, so we've kind of gotten down to you started bobsled, you learned to pilot. What was the hardest, I guess, the hardest part of kind of taking the pilot seat like, because it's, you can't replicate bobsled. Like, you just have to do it. So what was kind of, like, the hardest part of that transition? I sucked. I was so bad. Oh, my God. It was awful. So, like, not only at the time was I out of shape and, like, couldn't push fast either. Um, I was brutal. Like, most people get in a hell of crashes and I crashed all the time. Like it was, there was a point at the very beginning there where it was like 50, 50, if you're going to make it down. Um, but again, like people keep asking me, they're like, why do you keep doing this stupid sport? You're literally broken all the time and you're getting in these high speed car crashes essentially. And I said, uh, you know what? Cause I set a new goal and that's what I wanted to be an Olympian. Um, and this was the only route I knew I was never going to push fast enough to be a brakeman at the Olympians uh, at the Olympics. Like I'm just, I'm always going to be a good pusher, but never great. I just, in that, it literally comes down to genetics and, and physical capabilities. Um, and I got myself pretty good. I, I really did. At one point, I was with the fastest pilot we had in the program, which just based on, at the time, was amazing. But now, the athletes we have in our program, hold, like, I would have never made the team um, with the team that we have this year. Like, the girls are just, every record is broken every year. Like, it's just insane. And um, so I'm really glad that I'm a pilot <laughs> because the pilot, not only do they have to push fast and it's absolutely an asset, the faster you can push, but, um, you have to, it's, it is a skill to be able to drive and it's something that requires commitment. Like the pilot is, you know, they say if, if you watch cool runnings, it's like the pilot is the one who's got to use their brain. They've got to use their, their, it's a, the mental aspect. It's the, the extra hours at the track. It's the extra hours of watching video. Um, I had a really rough year in 2019 and the counseling that I required um, to work my way through that to be able to get back to where I'm at today racing. And I'd say even this weekend, um, I made the wrong runner choice, but this was my first World Cup race in almost two years. But I'd say it was my best technical execution in a race since December of 2018. So even though my position and my finish wasn't great, um, and I, unfortunately, am 100% blaming equipment on that. And that was, again, completely my fault. Um, but in terms of the, the things that I had to do um, with, with my hands and my body was my best execution since, yeah, December of 2018. So over three years. So I was really proud of myself this weekend. Um, and I was just really proud of myself of all the work that I did last year in my off year um, not just physically to get come back from my injury, but mentally to be able to come back and be able to trust in myself and believe in myself and, and actually be able to focus enough to be able to perform um, at the highest level. Yeah, I mean, I don't think people realize how mentally, like how how much of the mental side is like a huge component of our sport. And when things are going badly, you just keep like spiraling, it seems. And you have to somehow find a way to like plug the drain and stop the spiral. But I mean, I definitely feel that, that you just like, you were lucky you had, a, not lucky, I shouldn't say that. 
you had a pause for other reasons, but you got to also address the mental side of it during that time, which um, sometimes maybe like you don't have time to do necessarily when you're so focused on the physical side. And, and that's, I think, my point is like the time that it requires for you to be able to work through that. And for me, I was doing this thing called cognitive hypnotherapy. It's been just such a rock for me. And I think it really changed not just my ability to to prepare and, and to, to perform on the track, but it changed who I was as a person, to be honest. Um, because I was suffering from what we'd call like almost a version of P PTSD just from my inability. I was actually blacking out on the track because I was so scared going through this corner in Whistler that year. And just, it just was a like a downward spiral. And, and my coaches will tell you, they've seen it many, too many times with other athletes. And, um, it's a scary thing and it usually ends careers, but I'm proud to say that that wasn't the thing that's going to end my career. Yeah, no, that's. Yeah. Such a comeback story. Um, let's rewind a little bit and just talk about the season leading into the Olympics, um, the 2018 Olympics, and kind of how Heather Moyes comes into the fold in, in that whole <laughs> scheme of things. Well, yeah, okay. So well, this is going back to more mental talk. So that's actually perfectly lead-in. Um, so going into the, the, so the Olympic year is February of 2018. So the Olympic season actually starts in 2017. It starts in September of 2017. Uh, similarly to the 2022 Olympics, the Olympic season will start in September of 2021. Not a big deal. Like <laughs> just around the corner here. Um, but my team, uh, in terms of all the women on Bobsleigh Canada at the time, were all we bobsled for a couple years but other than one um there was no one who had olympic experience and we all went crazy in a little bit of a way because i came third i got a bronze medal it was my first world cup um medal in the olympic test event which was in the march of 2017 and I'm thinking, holy cow, I just won a World Cup medal on the future Olympic track. Like, I could actually win a medal in the Olympics, which until that point hadn't been something that was real. Um, and I went crazy. And so instead of going home and going on a vacation and relaxing and getting set, I had this brilliant idea that I was going to start training immediately as soon as I got home I literally think I took four days off from the end of the 2017 season and I started training for my Olympic training and it was a good idea it was a great idea until about June um and that's when things started falling off my sprint times my lifts my everything I started gaining weight um and which led to a more severe downward spiral because then I thought, you know, I wasn't working hard enough, even though I was training nine hours a day. And um, then it almost looked like I wasn't going to be able to make the team because I had fallen so far off on terms of my physical numbers. And that's when I realized, like, I needed help, not just like from a mental performance standpoint, but I needed mentorship. So I actually wrote an Instagram message because that was the only way I knew I had to get a help to one Heather Moyes and Heather had been a gold medal Olympic bobsled brakeman in the 2014 and the 2010 games 
and she came fourth in the 2006 games. So she had no shortage of Olympic um, experience. And I wrote her a really long message. In fact, I remember it was too long. Instagram like made me stop. So I had to like write it out and then copy and paste it in sections to send it to her. Um, We had never met before um, because while she was winning gold medals, I was just learning how to drive in 2014. Um, And uh, I just wrote a message and I said, hey, Heather, like, um, I know you don't know me, but um, I'm preparing for this Olympic year. I'm sure you've heard about, you know, our season. And it looks like for the first time, we'll be able to qualify three women's sleds for the games um, as part of Team Canada. Our team is full of Olympic rookies and we're all really like don't really know what to expect. And I mean, I don't know what you've been doing physically, but I'm wondering if you'd be interested to come back to bobsled. And at the very least, if you weren't interested in coming back to compete, would you be willing to be my mentor? Um, And she signed up for both. (laughs) And she had not been in a gym in three and a half years since the Sochi games. And she came back and she, she came late. So I reached out to her, um, in about August, which at that point I realized that I like needed to take some time off and actually recover and let my body recuperate. Cause I was undergoing with, um, overtraining syndrome. Um, and, uh, so I gone to that Olympic game and then by Christmas um Heather joined with me the or we had our first race in Europe just before Christmas actually and Heather actually pushed two hundredths off her personal best time after not being in <laughs> and having a second hip surgery at the age of 39. Like that's how much of a freak she is. Um and honestly Heather just made the year just so flippin' incredible. She she's become we were instant like BFFs. Like we our personalities were just perfect to get along. And she was such an a good help because as the pilot of the sled, it's my job to be the captain. Like I have to make the rules, I have to decide everything. Like and it, it's a lot of responsibility. Um and Heather took a lot of that responsibility off of me. In fact, she told me like what times we should be training and like what times like we raced at nine o'clock at night um at the olympic games so what we ended up doing was on her her recommendation was well she told me so um first of all we didn't compete until week two so she kind of like made a, a schedule for us and we we went and enjoyed the olympics for the first two days after the opening ceremonies because we weren't literally allowed to do anything um on the track I should say and because it's the biggest race of your life that you've been training all for the work's already done so it's not like you're in the gym grinding for hours at a time you're tapering you're getting ready um so we actually enjoyed the Olympics for the first two or three days and then we shut it down and we started just hanging out in our PJs we stayed up till three in the morning almost every night purposely knowing that on race day we'd be up at 3 a.m and we needed our sleep schedules to be able to sleep in until you know, 11 or noon the next day so that we would be rested enough for the next day. So um, we just aligned, like just her recommendations and she was so right about everything. And she was such a big help on, on expectations and and really managing um, nerves and everything and just really helping me believe. And 
I know I, I, I was disappointed we finished sixth, but we missed a medal by 0.7 seconds over four heats. Like it's, it's hard to be, to be mad about that. And at the end of the day, the way I was so proud of the way I performed at the race, um, in of the four heats, I made two mistakes. So, I mean, overall that's, that's pretty good. And at the race, you pretty much do have to be perfect to win. And we were that close. So that's also why I decided I had to go back cycle. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it's crazy to hear. I'd never heard that part of the story of how much, I guess, mentorship she had provided you. Obviously I was just from the outside looking in, seeing, seeing you guys on TV and, and, being like, I know her, she's racing. And then seeing you guys on like Jane and Dan and stuff like that. Like I was just, I know that like we were all so proud of, um, proud of you, but I had never heard, I guess, of that like mentorship side. So that it's really interesting. And thank you for sharing. I think that you'll for sure be taking some of, uh, some of the stuff she taught you into, into the 2021, 22 season. Yeah. And a hundred percent. And I think the thing that works so well for us is that we both needed the same things at the top of we both needed to be happy. We both needed to be excited. Um, I know there's some people that need to be angry to compete. Uh, there's some people that, that are motivated when they're, you know, almost a little bit stressed. There's some people that get really quiet. Like it's just people perform differently under different, um, emotions and both of us needed to be like kind of that happy go lucky. So I think from a lot of the outside looking in, a lot of people saw us and they thought we were just like always goofing around, giggling, like playing around. Um, but that was kind of part of our strategy. Like that was something that we actively thought about, talked about, um, and acknowledged. And that was keeping us light. It, it kind of helped fend off the nerves um, for me particularly. And Heather knew that. So that's how she treated me. Um, so it actually worked out like perfectly and, and yeah, I wouldn't have, I don't know if I would have coped as well if I did, if it wasn't for her, that's for sure. It's interesting. You say that that happy go lucky side, because you actually, they likened you in the last world cup broadcast to someone like Johannes Lochner, who apparently is very much the same. And they think that you guys are two peas in a pot as well. Oh <laughs> yeah. Hansi and I are definitely the ones on tour that everyone's like, they're always kind of goofing around that's for sure not a bad uh not a bad comparison there <laughs> yeah he's got a couple more medals than me i gotta step up my game well but it's a path to success so i know we'll be obviously sharing our journey through the next little bit on the podcast um with the listeners but i mean we're just going to be cheering for you into the next the final push if it kind of seems the next 18 months or so and uh we can't wait to see what what it has in store 18 months. Thank you. No, we're talking 13 months here, Grace. The Olympics, the Olympic Games start in in 12 months and two weeks. So not even two weeks, I think. What are we? We're the 18th now? Yeah. So I'm uh, 53 weeks away from the start of the Olympic Games, if you think about it like that. Um, I think when this drops, though, I'll be competing in the World Championships. So fingers crossed, everyone stay safe and healthy over here. We get COVID tested twice a week. It's been quite the experience. And, uh, yeah, thanks for grilling me. My bad. I kind of thought it was still, uh, as if you're, (laughs) I know that's obviously exaggeration. Thanks for letting me share my story. No problem. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. Thanks, Grace. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. Facebook podcast. Talk to you soon. Ever. (laughs) 
Check out Sport Calgary's This Week in Sport for the latest news and updates in Calgary's sports community. On all Calgary Flames games days, home and away, you can participate in the Calgary Flames Foundation 50-50 draws online. Go to www.calgaryflames.com slash 5050 to purchase your raffle tickets and watch the jackpot grow every Flames game day. Tickets are available from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Funds are directed to Southern Alberta charities, including the Calgary Flames Sports Bank and Flames Even Strength Program. Let's get into the game and support the Calgary Flames Foundation. Chance to win big. And the winner could be you. Must be over 18 and in Alberta to purchase. License number 570062. 